All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bearded Gear Podcast. Um, this is Jake, as always, and uh, I'm on episode 22. This is going to be another solo one, which is a little bit uh, different. Pardon me while I drink some Essentia water. <laughs> Got to get my electrolytes in. So <clears throat> there's a couple reasons why I'm going solo this week. Uh, this time it's not just laziness. <laughs> the first time it happened, it's because I was uh, sucky at reaching out to anybody ahead of time and just kind of went that way. Um, but this one, I just I, I figured it would be a kind of nice. I enjoyed. It was a little bit cathartic, I guess, like having a solo episode and just talking about what's going on with me, with the gear that I've got in, with what's coming, and just thoughts, getting them out there. And uh, I think the podcast is the the right <laughs> space to do that in. Um, I literally didn't bring any knives. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm not going to be holding up anything that you have to look at. This will be a very just audio episode. Um, you'll still see my face. Some people will hate that. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I wanted to just do it solo again so that I could have some space to talk about what's going on, some things that are coming up and all of that fun stuff. Um, nothing too heavy, nothing crazy going on, but it's, it's nice to do this. And then, uh, I guess that really is kind of the only reason. I don't know. <laughs> it, it just sounded nice and pleasant to do. Plus I'm really hangry right now. Uh, I'm doing this diet. Um, the thing that I have found in my life that works best for me in adulthood to cut some goo off is to do low carb especially if I match that with a lot of cardio. It just, I get real quick results and um, it's the type of diet that I can kind of handle the most compared to other diets. Drives me the least crazy, although it still drives me crazy. So I'm doing it right now. Uh, the way that it came about is kind of funny. So I'm not generally all that like body image focused. I'm not crazy tied up in that. But uh, last week I was on a trip down to San Diego and uh, I'll talk some more about another part of that trip later on in this episode. But while we were down there, um, I had already, I've been eating like a 15 year old for like this whole entire year, basically while we were down there is even worse, of course, because we're on vacation and uh, the way that it works oftentimes when we stay in places like this resort that we were at because of what my wife does we're there to cover staying there like to take photos and and promote that we stayed there and um, provide them with images they can use and stuff like that so it's kind of work but it's kind of vacation at the same time we just have to take a few photos while we're there but because of that we also had like a room service credit and we had like a poolside cabana for one of the days and we had credit to like order from a waiter the whole time we were out there and like the whole thing was very like taken care of, which made me go crazy. Of course, who, uh, I don't know. I don't know who wouldn't do that. So the whole trip was just eating. Plus we brought a bunch of snacks and I don't think I drank any water. It's just all soda and juice and my mate, which I drink all the time. I brought a bunch of, um, but that's also like a ton of juice in it and carbs and it's very sweet. And so yeah, I was just going crazy and I kind of have been for a while. Um, I hike a fair bit. I like to walk sometimes with my family, sometimes just alone. But um, with the amount of food I was intaking, 
I had just put on a, a decent bit of weight. So I was sitting at like, I think when I got home, I weighed myself as 192, um, which for me, six foot even my build, that's about as heavy as I like to get. I've been there a few times in adulthood, but I'm happier. 170 to 175 is about where I like feel pretty good, especially if I have a little bit of muscle mass. Um, but if I'm like, if I'm not lifting, if I'm not really working out, then even 165 is pretty good for me. So anyway, um, while we were down there, it's just eating like just so terrible. And the last night that we were there, I had spent that whole day, no water, all soda. I had uh, I didn't have for breakfast. I had a waffle and like a croissant breakfast sandwich. I got both because of room service. And then with that, I had a big thing of orange juice and I drank my mate. And then we went down, we had this poolside cabana thing and I ordered a burger and fries. And then I ended up getting a bag of chips and I had a big medio litro, like the big Mexican Coke with that. And, uh, and then they brought me a ginger ale. And then like I was swimming with my kid, got real sunburnt. And then we left there for a little while. We went into La Jolla. We really like La Jolla Cove and, uh, walked around there. We got some snacks while we were there. I drank a Red Bull, um, and then we headed back toward the hotel, ended up going to a really good um, like taco place. I guess it's just a Mexican restaurant. I ordered fajitas, but um, went to this awesome, awesome restaurant. I think there's only one in California, but apparently there's more. It's called Blanco. Um, so we ate there. It was right by the hotel. And I just ate tons of chips and guacamole. And then I got this big plate of fajitas with tortillas and corn and beans. And like, there's a whole thing, right? And then uh, I ate something for dessert after too. Now I'm not remembering. It's probably just like literally candy because I was eating candy the whole trip. And so then we get back from that and I took my daughter down to the pool for like kind of one last swim because it was the last night and a really cool pool. The resort was like deserted too. Literally, we saw maybe 10 other people at this whole giant resort the whole time we were there. Like the employees didn't even know what to do. A lot of the time we like couldn't find somebody if we went like into the little shop, there like wouldn't be an employee for a couple of minutes because there, there's just no one coming in. So they were hiding somewhere. I don't know. But so then we, uh, I take my daughter swimming, take her back up to the room, my wife and her get ready for bed. And I went to go down to the hot tub. This is a really long way for me to get into why I'm starting my diet. But <laughs> anyways, so I go and I sit in the hot tub for a while and the hot tub closed like 11. So I head back up. And then I got back upstairs and I was going to shower because I smell like hot tub and chlorine. And uh, I like happened to glance over at the mirror and I was super sunburned and looked kind of like disheveled anyways. And I was just like, I looked at myself and I'm like, I am fat. I'm a fat person. And I'm not, I, again, I'm not normally like this big body image. I, I don't like self-loathe or anything, but I was like, oh man. And then I, it also hit me. I was like, I also don't feel good. I don't have the amount of energy that I should. And like, this isn't good. <laughs> and if I keep going this way, it's only going to get worse. And so I just decided kind of in that moment, as I was like getting in the shower, that when I got home, I was going to try to change it up and write the course. So I've been doing low carb and that works for me because I can eat as much of I as much as I want, like portion wise, and kind of as often as I want, as long as I'm not putting carbs in my body. So I'm trying to make sure I do at least less than 50 grams of carbs a day, uh, 
ideally, and I've been successful at so far, more like 30 grams or under, which is not very many carbs. And uh, I love pasta. I love bread. I love French fries. I love any form of potatoes, of mac and cheese. I love all those things. And so it's just, it's frustrating. But it's also like this morning I had bacon and eggs and avocado. And like I can just make burger patties and eat them without the bun, just fork and knife them, some mustard on there or whatever, eating a ton of veggies. Like I'm eating and I'm eating good food, but it's not what I would love to be eating. <laughs> it's just stuff that's tolerable after a few days. Plus in the midst of it, my wife had us do a juice cleanse and I agreed to it because apparently I hate myself. And uh, that was brutal. Like the first juice was just celery juice with a little lemon in it. And it was like for the whole day, you're supposed to drink six juices. So every two hours. So we started at nine and then at 11, one, three, five, and at seven, we had juices, right? So the first one, it's just celery and lemon is horrible. And then the second one was like just as bad. It was like celery and lemon and like kale and parsley. Who puts parsley in juice? Um, and what else was in there? I think they like put some carrot in. I don't know. It was, that one was also bad. And that was also juice number four. That one repeated is the only one you drink two of. Juice number three was okay. It was kind of a smoothie. Like it had avocado in it. And I think a little bit of like apple or something. So it's kind of sweet. Still didn't like it, but compared to the first two, it was great. And then number four, like I said, was garbage again. And then number five was actually pretty good. It was like pineapple and apple and like turmeric and ginger and like still healthy but tasted much better and then the last one was like a protein shake with like almond butter and banana and cocoa powder and like that one was oh it was heaven at the end of that but that was not a low carb day but it was a juice cleanse and i like pooped every two hours so that happened um so yeah, anyways, it's been, I think, five days now that I've been doing this, and I'm already down seven or eight pounds, which is good progress. My goal is to lose at least 20 by the time I leave on my trip next month. I'm going on a trip, which again, I have a note. I wrote down some notes just to make sure I don't miss anything I wanted to talk about. Um, we're going on a trip right around my birthday. So we're going to leave on June 23rd. My birthday is the next day on the 24th. So by the 23rd of June, I want to have lost at least 20 pounds, technically 22, I guess. I'd like to be at 170 when we leave for that trip, down from 192. And based on my progress so far, I know it'll slow down. The first <laughs> the first weight that falls off is usually the easiest, but I think I'm hopefully going to get there. I believe. I believe I can do it. So I might be hangry for a little while, but that's coming up. Anyways, so I'm on my diet and... I think that also contributed to me wanting to do a solo episode so I could spend 10 minutes complaining about that. Um, but that's where we're at. So sound off in the comments if you're also on a diet right now and hating life, but liking the results. I don't know. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm like, I would just love to eat a donut so much right now, but I won't. Um, it's funny too. Yesterday I did a big cardio day because I'm making sure that I at least walk seven miles a day. That's my minimum right now. Um, if I get real busy, I won't hate myself if I do five miles, but like 
seven is kind of my minimum. And so yesterday I ended up, um, I did two big walks, one with the family, which was super slow because my six-year-old is not quick. <laughs> um, so that was like a, a mosey pace. I was just on the phone with my buddy the whole time, just, just chugging along. Um, and then I got back home from that. And at night, once it cooled down, I went out and I ran just over three and a half miles. And I wasn't impressive about it. I held an 11 minute mile for the whole time. Um, I'd like to get faster. That would be great. Um, and then I finished that and I was doing a cool down walk and I was like, I'm just going to keep walking. And so I ended up walking like another three and a half miles plus all the random steps I'd had throughout the day. It ended up, I clocked over 11 miles. And so this morning I was toast. And then today I tried to run again and I only made it, I held about the same pace, but I made it like two and a half miles before I was just so out of gas that I could not keep running. <laughs> um, and so I walked quite a bit more. I ended up, I still got seven miles in today, two and a half of which were running, but, um, I was so like depleted from having a couple days in a row of just like 20, 25 grams of carbs in the whole day. Um, and I was a little dehydrated, hadn't been drinking enough water, hence the Essentia over here. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I was toasted. And right before doing this, I treated myself and I ate like a multi-grain, like what would normally be not that good of a piece of bread. <laughs> I toasted it, buttered it. And I think that by itself had like 15 grams of carbs, just that one slice of bread. But I just, if I didn't do that, I knew that tomorrow I was going to be so fried and I wasn't going to do this. And, uh, I'd been really good today. I still with that, I was, I think that puts me at like 40 grams of carbs. So is what it is, but that's where we're at on the diet. I'm sure there are a lot of people who've already stopped listening to this episode just because it's been this much of diet talk. So, um, let's talk something knife related. There's a, a really interesting group chat that I'm in. I've mentioned it quite a few times. Um, no, I cannot invite you to it. It's pretty <laughs> closed off and somewhat exclusive. Um, just a tight knit group of guys at this point. And we talk very openly and about all kinds of things, but a lot of the time the conversation centers around gear and knives. And, uh, in there, there's an interesting group. Some of us are on YouTube some of us are just on Instagram. Some of us are on both. Obviously, we it, the group chat is on Instagram, so we have to be there. But um, some people in there are makers. Some people are becoming makers, designers. There's like a, an interesting mix there, right? And uh, there was a post that got shared into the group just the other day. I think it might have even been yesterday. And it was, I think Jim Skelton posted it pretty sure that was who it was. And I'm not trying to throw shade at him in any way. I'm just kind of dissecting this in my own way <laughs> because it led to a, a big conversation. Basically the post was a picture of a really wild custom knife. I think it was like an RJ Martin knife. And basically in essence, what I took from his text underneath the post was that the word grail in the knife world gets misused constantly because people call knives grails that are available at 20 retailers right now. Like if they had the money, they could just go buy it. And in his interpretation, that means it's not a grail. A grail is something that 
you maybe have to hunt for, I guess, would I guess be the way he would put it. Or like it, it just has to be so rare, and so unique that it's almost unfathomable, unfathomable that you could even have the chance to own it. Um, and I don't think he's wrong, but it led to a really interesting conversation in the group chat about what a grail is to kind of each of us respectively. And I chimed in a little bit, but I also mentioned like, I think I'm going to talk about this on my podcast because there's something here. This is interesting. And uh, I've just kind of loosely been thinking about it. I don't have like this dissertation to give you right now on my definition of a grail, but I guess I'm going to attempt to. So I think honestly, this is one of those things where a lot of people can be right at the same time because it is so individual what grail means like when i started in the hobby i the knives that i considered grails were largely production knives that were if they were hard to get they weren't impossible to get like maybe they're marked up a little on the secondary or drops only happen every now and then that kind of thing but a lot of them even were just things that i could buy but or things that were for sale. <laughs> but the problem was that I didn't have the money to go ahead and just buy these things that were hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I also wasn't at a point where, I don't know, I wasn't committed enough to the hobby that I could justify spending that much money on a knife. And so to me, at that time, a grail was something that was frivolous and more expensive than I could rationally justify, but I wanted, right? Like, I don't know. I think of when I first started collecting, actually, one of the knives that first caught my collection, sorry, first caught my attention when I was buying like bokers and used Wii's and stuff like that um, was like a Strider SMG or SMF. And I knew some guys who were into them and I'd see pictures of them on Instagram. I had no idea at the time of all the drama surrounding Mick and his stolen valor. And that's a whole thing on its own that I never really care to get into because it is what it is. But um, I, I really wanted one of those, but it was like, it's, to me, the idea of spending, if I could get one at table, like 450 bucks on a knife was so unjustifiable. And so to me, it was a grail in the sense that it was like, I lusted after it. And I thought maybe one day, and I think that's the key is the like, maybe one day aspect of it. That's what, like, I would have called it a grail at that time. And to me, it was. And I don't think back then as a new person in the hobby or the community that I was incorrect because I think maybe one day really kind of is the key. Like if it's a maybe one day thing, then regardless of the reasoning why it can't be today, that can make it a grail. But I think there are also individuals who like they, I don't know if you come into the hobby <laughs> with a lot more money to blow. Like at the time with what I was doing for work, I didn't have a large disposable income, especially with a baby and a wife. And like my wife wasn't doing what she is now on the level that she is now. And like, there was a lot of contributing factors to that. Sure. But 
I just didn't have the disposable income. If someone comes into the hobby and they could spend $10,000 on a knife the day that they decide they want to get into knives, then to them, a grail might be much less about price. It might be much less about like availability. Because if you have FU money, then you could probably talk somebody into selling it who has one who wasn't even planning on selling it. Like that kind of thing can happen, you know? Um, so for those people, maybe a grail is like that maker only made one of them and I can't even track down who the owner is. I just have to hope that one day I figure that out and I can have that one of one knife. Like that is a different type of grail. Sure. Um, but I do think, and again, not to throw any shade towards like Jim Skelton for posting it because I, I totally understand and even find myself agreeing with his line of thinking. Like I, I get where he's coming from and his definition, but I do think it's a little pretentious to say that because a knife is widely available, that it can't be somebody's grail. And I don't think they're wrong for calling it a grail, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and maybe I'm looking at the word wrong. That's also fair. It could be like, maybe we should call that something else. Maybe we should call that a goal and not a grail. I don't know. But to me, like the term, the way it's used, the way it's tossed around, the way that friends of mine have used it in talking to me about a knife they want, I, I get it. I, I latch onto the idea when someone says, this is a grail for me. I know in, instantly and instinctively what that means because I've had plenty of grails. Like for me, the first grail that I like achieved, if you will, was my Arius. When I got the Gen 3 Arius, that was something that I never thought I'd actually end up getting, but I had wanted so badly. And then it took me finally getting to a point where it was like, well, if I sell three knives that I already have in my collection that I like and that I would like to keep, but if I sell those, then I can have this knife that is a grail, you know? And then it was like the hunt was on. Then I had to sell those things and get a, enough out of them to have the money in my account because I didn't have more money to throw at it. And I made it happen. I made it work and I got it. And it felt like achieving a grail. And that knife lived up to what I wanted it to be in my head. I ended up later letting it go um, just to fund something else. And because I never really carried it and I've talked about that story as well, but then ultimately I came into the gen four areas, which I now have this week. I actually tried to buy another areas, which is crazy. I shouldn't have even, I shouldn't even be playing that game. I already have one, right? But USA made blade got some exclusives for their shop in that had DLC handles and DLC hardware and DLC backspacers. And it was still satin blade. Um, but the handle and all the hardware and clip and everything were DLC. And I just thought they looked sweet and, uh, they were doing a drop and I was ready. I was actually out on a walk, but I made myself stop a few minutes before drop time. I was ready card info loaded, like set to go right in drop mode. And, uh, I was checking out in under 30 seconds and they were gone. I don't know how many they got. It could have just been a handful, but, um, I almost was an owner of two areases. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I think Grail is just one of those terms that like the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought most people are right when they say Grail. 
Like, I think if you own, I don't know, other knives that are just as expensive, like say somebody has a bunch of knives that are worth 150 to 200 bucks, like at least several. And they're saying that their grail is a bug out and bug outs are in stock in a bunch of places. Then I agree that that's not a grail because it's within their means. They could just sell one of the knives they already have. And if the bug out was actually a grail, they should be willing to let go of something that they already have to just turn the, that knife into this knife kind of thing. Like, sure. But if for any reason a knife is inaccessible to somebody, especially for like, not like to their next paycheck, but like for months and months or a year or like however long the timetable is, if it's not super immediate, then I think it's fair to call something a grail. I think it, the hobby also evolves for people, right? So somebody like Jim Skelton, who's been in it for years and years and years and has owned a ton of really, really nice knives, like the things he's lusting after are very different now than they probably were when he entered the hobby. Um, and so I think it's easy to kind of dismissively like I have arrived. Now I know the things about knives and that's a, a tempting thought to have. And I'm sure there will be times where I'll be caught in that where it's like, I'm the one who knows the things because I've handled so many and I've carried so many and I've talked to so many makers and both. Now I'm now I know more. Um, but I think it's also fair to, to be the new person whose grail is something fairly simple. Um, and so I think, I don't know. I just, I want to encourage a space that's more inclusion focused and encourages people um, who are getting into the hobby to keep getting deeper. Um, because when you achieve a grail, whether it's something that took you a, a couple of months of saving or some strategic buying and selling and trading, or whether it's something that you didn't know if one would ever pop up and you've been hunting and you've been scouring Reddit and Facebook and Instagram hashtags, and you've been trying to find one for sale and you've had no luck. And it's something that you've got the money burning a hole in your pocket, but you're waiting because that's the knife that you want. And then you achieve it. Like that stuff is awesome. That's a, that feels rewarding. Um, sometimes it can also feel hollow. Sometimes you can get the thing and be like, this is what I worked that hard for. That's going to happen too. But I think when people have those experiences, they get a layer deeper into the hobby and into the community because they're having more conversations and they're investing more time and energy in it. And they're looking at it more and they're focused on it more. And I want more people to be into the hobby. So um, I think whatever your grail is like chase it, you know, <laughs> I, th I think that's a great thing or maybe it just requires patience. Maybe it's not a chasing thing. Maybe it's just waiting for me. The most recent grail has been the Roosevelt. I had the loner one that I adored, adored that knife. And, uh, on the secondary, they're way more money than I would spend at this point in my life on a knife, especially when I know how much they table for, like <laughs> that's no secret. So I'm not going to pay triple just because I want it so bad. Like, does that mean it's not a grail for me? No, it's still a grail. I still really, really want one. What I actually want is a book spot to be able to get one at table. And so 
um, the first time the books opened that I was really engaged and, and wanted one, I missed it. And it was a huge bummer. And now I have a book spot and I'm waiting for my spot to come up. And it feels like I'm waiting for a grail. And that's real exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think the deeper you get in, th there should also always be a next grail. It, maybe it's a next maker you want to buy from and you would love to and you have to do something to make it happen. Like, I think the, the, the point is that there, there needs to be an obstacle of some sort, whether it's time or money or chance, like that should be the definition of a grail in my book. Uh, so obviously that wasn't the most concise way to put it, but I feel like I sorted my thoughts in a way by verbalizing them here. So um, yeah, I, I think that would be an interesting thing to see other people tackle what they define as a grail because I, I, again, I think so many people can be right at the same time on that one. Um, all right. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, I, uh, for, I've been doing consistent YouTube uploads and Instagram uploads for over a year now. And this isn't me saying that I'm quitting. Don't worry about that. But, uh, I have made a point every single day since I started my channel in, I think it was March of last year, March of 2020, right? Yeah. When COVID hit, started my channel. At that point, I started daily uploads, at least one video a day and have not missed a day. On Instagram, I have also posted every single day and have not missed a day. And I spend a lot of time just responding to messages trying to make sure I at least see every comment. If it's cool and positive, I heart it and I like it. Um, I respond to someone I can that's getting harder and harder. And I'm not going to hold myself to some weird standard that I have to respond to everybody. Like, I'm sorry. It did. <laughs> At a certain point, it gets to be unmanageable. And I also do photography for my wife with what she does for work. And that requires an amount of my time. And I have a kid who I'm watching grow up. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that I will answer every message or like, sorry, <laughs> but I'm not sorry. Anyway. So it's just a lot of time because there's not just shooting the content, but then there's also editing the content, uploading the content, doing the back end of making sure the title is right. And there's keywords and all this stuff. Right. And it all takes time. And uh, I'm not burnt out. I'm not sick of it. I'm, I enjoy it thoroughly. I, I'm getting to kind of like do my hobby in a way that most people don't. And I cherish that. But in June, like I said, on the 23rd, I'm leaving on a trip to go to Utah. And I haven't firmly decided this, but I, for the last couple of days, especially as I've been walking and running and just alone with my thoughts, um, I've been thinking about this and I think for the first time I'm going to let myself miss a couple of days. I, I don't think anybody cares <laughs> about me missing a day other than me. If I'm being honest, I think it's just a, it, I'm in my own way at this point, but I also like believe in momentum for these kinds of things. And so I've been very strict with myself to make sure even in the days where it's been very inconvenient to still post at least a video to YouTube and at least a picture to Instagram. 
I let Facebook slide all the time. Like when I post on Facebook, it's just a groups anyways. I'm not like, I don't have a page on there of my own that I'm really like pushing on. I just share Instagram pictures to the Facebook page that I have right now. It doesn't, it's just repeat content. Right. But like, even when it's been massively inconvenient, I've made sure to get an upload up. And when I've gone on trips in the past, um, we went just like last week to San Diego, but that was just for two nights. It was pretty easy. Um, but before that, our last trip was to Utah, actually, again. So we have some good friends who used to live down here and now live in Utah, and we like to go and visit them. And this year we're making it a big trip, or this coming trip is going to be a big one because we're renting a massive house this time. And like my three best friends are all going to come with their wives and kids, and we're all just going to stay in this giant house together um, for like five nights. It's going to be awesome. And then I'll probably spend another night at my sister's place up north before heading back down. We'll see what it'll end up being. But even when I get back, one of my buddies might come back with us. We still have to plan it. And if he does, we're either going to do a camping trip, just he and I, after we get back here, get my wife and daughter home, grab the camping equipment and go, or we'll do some kind of road trip, or we'll fly somewhere. Um, we're trying to make that work. We might go to Michigan. Uh, cause we both spent a lot of time there or I don't know, we're going to figure something out hopefully. But the point is like, normally when I go on these trips, my last trip to Utah, I had to make sure before I left on the trip that not only was all of my wife's content, which is what makes us our actual income. Not only was all of that shot and prepared and edited and ready to post so that we could be up there and enjoy our time. She wouldn't have to worry about it. But then I also had to make sure that I had le at least one video per day for the day we're traveling, each of the day we're staying there, the day we're traveling back, and a buffer extra video for the next day in case, like, when I get back, I don't have time to immediately film some stuff. So that's a lot of, like, work. And I try to shoot a lot of my videos back to back to back in, in single sittings. A lot of the time, that's no surprise. You'll see me wearing the same shirt with the same background all the time. And I just, I shoot a couple of things, right? And so it's not that crazy, but it's, it's a lot right before a trip when you're already planning on leaving and you want to make sure you're packed and all your actual like life stuff is in order to go ahead and leave for a whole week or whatever it is. Um, so I imagine what I'll probably do is I'll probably still pre-shoot some content. Maybe I'll pre-shoot all of it. I don't know yet, but I'm not going to put any pressure on myself to post to YouTube or to Instagram while I'm gone. And if when I get back, I need a couple of days to settle back in and then start shooting some content, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and I'm just going to let myself for the first time since I started the channel, like drop the ball for a second and actually have like a proper vacation and enjoy being with my friends even more. Because like even on my last Utah trip, I had pre-scheduled my videos to go up. I still had to post to Instagram every day, which I do manually. I don't schedule those, but I had scheduled some of the videos. Um, there were one or two that I just needed to edit, but I'd already shot them. And then it's like, I didn't want to be on my laptop at all while I was there. I didn't even really want to be looking at comments 
while I was there. Like that I usually don't mind, but in that space where I was in that mode, I didn't want to be dealing with it. I just wanted to be with the people I was with. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to like be better about that kind of thing. Like have my head actually be where my feet are in the moment. That's as I age becoming more and more important to me. And that's part of why I've actually filmed less outdoors lately is because I had started to notice that when I was hiking with all my filming equipment and stuff that I needed to film, I was looking at my hikes as like, this could be a good filming spot or I got to get that much further up to where I'm going to film. And I've got all this extra heavy gear on my back and, and then I'm hiking into a spot where I'm going to sit down and film for an hour or two. And then I'm going to pack it all back in. And after I've spent all that time filming, I don't have any more time to then actually go hike as hard and far as I would like to. Um, and so I just, I, I haven't done it as much because now when I go hiking, it's for me to clear my headspace, and I think it makes me a better person. <laughs> and so I'm not, that's not to say that I won't ever film outdoors again. I certainly will, but it's been nice for me to like, have a little bit of a break from that and just enjoy getting outdoors and hiking for the sake of getting outdoors and hiking and not make like, not like mixing that so much with feeling like it's some kind of obligation. Again, the obligation lies only with me. There's, I don't have a boss in doing this. I don't have anybody above me who's telling me, here's your deadline. You have to make sure like none of that is happening, but I also, plan to sustain this long term. And so for me, there are certain things I need to do to make it feel sustainable. Um, so yeah, I think on that trip that it'll probably finally be the time when people will notice that bearded gear, Hey, he didn't have an upload today. He didn't even post on Instagram. Is he dead? I don't know. And hopefully by me talking about it now, and I'm sure I'll talk about it as it comes up or as it's happening. Like I, you'll know I'm not dead. I'm just having a good time. So, uh, but I am really looking forward to that trip. It's going to be really cool. I'm turning 29 and uh, that's not like this weird, like milestone age. It just happened on after at the end of our last trip, we had had so much fun just like renting a Verbo with our friends there that we were just like, we got to do this again. And then one of our other friends had visited us there at the Verbo while we were there with our other friends. And so that was a lot of fun. And then my other best friend lives up in Portland now. And we were like on the phone with him a bunch while we were there. Cause we're all friends with him. We're hanging out without him. And so we just kind of figured it out where we were like, what if we rent this giant house and everyone comes <laughs> and uh, we were able to work it out. So my buddy from Portland is coming down my other two friends already live in Utah, relatively close to where we're staying. So it's going to like all come together in a really cool and fun and unique way. I also don't like see any of those friends pretty much ever because they all live in different states. And that's kind of been like the story of adulthood for me is like all my childhood friends ended up going off to college and all that kind of stuff. And then if they ever came back, to like hometown. I, I live 40 minutes from where I grew up. The, by the time they came back, like I had a kid and a wife and my life was different than theirs. They, they're still in party mode, you know, like it, my life was different. And so 
the friends, like the true, like good friends that I've made in adulthood that I see in person that aren't knife community friends who are real friends as well. Um, but like the people I spend physical time with, a lot of them live pretty far away now. And some of them used to live close and they've moved away and whatever. It's like, that can be the way it goes. But this isn't some weird, like I have no friends kind of thing. <laughs> just, just spitballing here. Anyway, um, so let's change gears again. I wanted to talk about pre-orders for a minute. I've had a number of people lately uh, send me messages. Some people I knew, some people who just sent me a message out of the blue, um, which I actually, I really appreciate. I get a number of messages relatively regularly, not to like sit here and toot my own horn, but people who are just like, hey dude, I love the channel. And then they like have a question or they just want to share something like the number of people I've had message me. Hey dude, love your channel. Watch all the time. Something like that followed by, and I just got my first Arius and man, you are right. Or something like that. It happens a lot specifically about the Arius. Um, that just, I'll keep tooting that horn all day long. The Arius is a phenomenal knife, but, uh, I've had a number of people tell me that they've just done their first pre-order because I, pre-order knives with a relative amount of frequency. And uh, I tend to speak pretty highly of it because I think it's one of the best ways to get a fair deal on knives that oftentimes become very difficult to get. Like the Brian Brown Jaeger M, I didn't pre-order. And man, I should have. That knife is phenomenal. So good. And I ended up overpaying for it only by like 50 bucks or whatever because I got it from Kevin. But um, and he was in it for more than that. He just bro dealed me cause he knew I wouldn't spend as much as he did on a knife secondary. Um, but yeah, like pre-ordering knives can in the long run, if you're able to put that money on the hook for months at a time while you're waiting for something, it ends up potentially saving you money. There can be losses. Sure. It's not a sure bet every single time, but Anyway, so I've had a number of people like, hey, I ordered my, pre-ordered my first knife. I'm really excited for it. Sometimes it's a Vero, sometimes it's whatever, right? And uh, I just think that's really cool. And it's made me kind of reflect a little bit on how I used to feel about pre-orders. They're still, honestly, it's not my favorite thing to do. Like, I would much prefer to spend a couple hundred bucks on a knife and have it immediately. Obviously, that would be so much nicer to just have the thing right when you give the money, right? But I think they're kind of a necessary evil, if that makes sense. And uh, I used to not see them that way. I used to just see them as stupid. I used to see it as the way that my collection worked. It still kind of does. But especially back then when my collection was smaller and I had less money into it and I had less to kind of play with at the time. It was like, if I spend $300, let's say it is, on this pre-order, whatever it is, then that's $300 I can't be spending and moving around and trading and trying things with for months. And I, I used to rely on buying and selling and trading to constantly be trying new things, which was super fun for me, still is. I, if you watch my channel at all, you know I'm constantly trying new gear. And part of that is because I have the channel. But even before the channel, I did that kind of thing all the time. And sometimes you take little losses. Sometimes you end up up on something. And like, it was a fun 
game to move gear around and be trying stuff and experiencing a variety of gear that I wouldn't have been able to experience if I kept every knife I bought and then just bought with new money because I didn't have a bunch of new money to be putting in the hobby. Still don't. Um, and so to me in that way, it made pre-orders just seem stupid. I was just like, why would I give you money now for a knife I'm not going to see for months? That just didn't add up to me. But I think a couple of things have happened for me. Like, A, my tastes have kind of drifted towards some of these micro brands or smaller makers or designers where they do their own OEM runs. And that's a game I'm about to be playing on my own with Luft Concepts and the Avant on the way, which we'll talk about where that's at, uh, I think, towards the end. Um, but these little brands that do OEM runs, especially if they're with React, because that's just about me liking the design or not. The build is going to be good if React is building it, is honestly the way I see it, my knife project aside. Um, it's exciting and it's fun to try knives from these smaller makers. And I find I want to support these guys like Brian Brown. I pre-ordered his Raptor because a, I love, 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 love the Jaeger M, but B I love Brian Brown. <laughs> I had him on the podcast, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I've talked to him quite a bit since I bought one of his fancy bit drivers. Um, he is a really nice guy. Plus, all of the friends of mine who have also talked to him, isolated, not include, not, not about my conversations with him, have all reported that he's a super nice guy. And I, I like him as a dude. I think he's a cool guy. And so I want to support him. I know that based on the knife I already have from him and the bit driver I have from him, that I like his designs. I like his work. I think the Raptor looks cool. It's kind of a no-brainer to me. And I'm willing to bet that if the Raptor is as good as I'm expecting it to be, then if I didn't pre-order it now, my options, once it actually lands in everyone's hands, would be either to just accept I've missed out on it or to overpay on the secondary. And I don't personally like overpaying on the secondary. I would rather give him my $350 now and know that I've got that knife on the way and be looking forward to it. And I've conditioned myself to just like let that process be what it's going to be. Part of it is strategically trying to remember or trying to forget rather that I've got this knife floating out there. And just like when I get the update that they've arrived and they're going to start to ship, that's when I'll get super excited, but I'm just passively excited until then. But yeah, I'd rather give them the 350 now and go through that process than for me than to pay 400 or 450 bucks for it secondhand and and feel less like i'm supporting him too even though ultimately he's going to sell all the knives but like i like knowing that my money went to him for doing that um it just i i dig it so yeah i have a number of pre-orders right now i've got the roosevelt spot technically that i'm waiting for it to come up i think there's still quite a few people in front of me in line um my numbers towards the end of the batch of 100 spots that he did that i got in on so that'll be really, really exciting. Um, I have the Weir Knives, Lucas P. Um, I'm excited for that because I've never even handled a Weir Knife. And it's his first production knife. And uh, Riat is making it. I'm a little bit confused that it's S35VN. But I'm not going to 
let it ruin the knife for me. Yeah. S35VN is fine. I just feel like at the, the price and the three at building it and like the way the industry is right now, I'm confused that it's not M390 or something equivalent, but maybe he just loves S35VN. I don't know. Um, then I've obviously got the Brian Brown Raptor and I just pre-ordered uh, something obscene company, J-Cape because he's got the pre-orders live as of when I'm talking about this. Um, this is Monday. It'll go live Wednesday. So I don't know if they still will be, but um, I have a loner J Cape in right now and I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, and I thought when I got it that I was going to have the chance to buy it, but some events happened. Uh, the, my buddy hero sticks who loaned it to me, he had a couple of them and then ended up getting a crazy wild offer on the other one. And so he sold it because he got a crazy offer and he wants to keep the one that's now in my possession because he was planning on keeping the other one. It's a whole thing. So I won't be able to keep the flame to tie one, but I pre-ordered one that's a flipper satin blade and then all murdered out black handles, hardware clip, everything. And I'm actually really excited about that. The more that I've thought about it, um, I I'm looking forward to it being all black because the gold clip in a lightning bolt shape is a little much for me actually having hanging out of my pocket a lot of the time. Even it looks rad, don't get me wrong, but I think black is more livable for me as the one that'll be a keeper. So I've got those couple of knives pre-ordered. Um, I've had a couple of pre-orders come in recently. The isotope came in. I was not a fan. It's already gone. Um, my full review by the time this goes live should already be live on that maybe. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think pre-orders can be fun if you make them fun. I think they suck if you make them suck. I think if you let yourself be the kind of person who's just constantly checking in, like, oh, have they posted any updates? Is, is it coming? Is it? When is it going to get here? They they promised me that it would be four to it's four to six months, and it's been four months. Where like, don't be that guy. Just ride the wave. <laughs> um, the the makers who are doing these things, everyone that I know of wants those knives to get into them and they want to package them up and they want to ship it to you so they can have that weight off of their chest. It's not like these things are like artificially taking long <laughs> or anything like that. Um, I do think it's nice when the makers do give updates like, Hey, heard from Rhea, the OEM They're This is what step of the process they're in. That kind of stuff is great. Like I, I am going to seek to be communicative when people pre-order the Avant that will be important to me to be that kind of designer who does that. Um, but yeah, I, I think pre-orders are pretty rad. So um, speaking of the Avant, let's talk uh, where that is at at the moment. I keep I kind of teasing. I don't mean to be a total tease about it. It just doesn't make sense to share too much information too early because then, I don't know, my fear in a lot of ways is that by sharing too much now, the wait will be too long by the time the knife is actually shipping to people and people will have like, they'll have fizzled. <laughs> um, or it could even be a while before we open up pre-orders because things need to happen before then. And some of those things are just out of our control right now. We're at a step that is out of our control. So we have okayed the, the designs from react. They took our CAD files they made them their CAD files. We did some minor revisions. So the 3D um, modeling that we've shared on the Instagram on Left Concepts, 
is dated at this point. There have been changes made to the knife since. So the clip that's on that 3D video that's on there, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to have a wire clip. Um, the edges of the micarta will be chamfered all the way around. It doesn't reflect that in that clip that we shared. And a number of things have happened. So that's all exciting for us. But now that we've okayed all of that and we've signed off on those renderings that they sent back to us with all those changes, now it's they're making the prototypes. Um, one of the variants of ours is going to involve some coding. And for that, I understand it just takes them longer. So we're waiting for prototypes to get here. And we've already been waiting for a couple of weeks. We're probably going to be waiting for a few more. We don't know exactly how many um, because Riyadh is working with a lot of people <laughs> on a lot of different projects. And we're just one of them. And we're brand new. And they're somewhat communicative. Um, obviously, I'd love it if they were like every day telling me what's going on, but that's not the world we live in. So once those prototypes show up, I'm hoping before my trip in June, man, that would be awesome if they're here before I do that. Um, because I, I, I mean, I'd like them to be here three days ago. Like I, I want them so bad for my own selfish reasons, but hopefully they're here before the trip. If not, then hopefully by the time I get back from that end of June, early July, we'll see prototypes in hand here. Um, I'll have a couple of prototypes that are for me. I'll have one of each variant and then I'll have one of each variant that I will be sending from me to some of my friends who are reviewers and some friends who I just want feedback from. And that list has to, in essence, be short because for people to spend any kind of meaningful amount of time with one, um, I mean, I, I just, there's only two prototypes to go around. So that's the way it's going to go. Um, and then Ryan, my partner on the project will obviously have two products for, or two prototypes for him as well. So yeah, we're just waiting for those to get here. And once the prototypes arrive, then some exciting things can happen. Then we can obviously take a bunch of photos and video and all that kind of stuff. We can add that to the site, which we've already got mostly built and kind of ready. Um, so we can plug that stuff into there and then people can have another way to look at and see the product and what things are going to be like. Um, we have to decide like final decisions on packaging so we can start getting ahead on that kind of stuff. And there's just, there's so many elements to it. And then we've got a calendar out and decide when we're going to open the pre-order and all that's really exciting, but also scary. <laughs> and it's scary, exciting because it's our first time. So yeah be patient with us as we have to sit here and be patient. Um, but I, I genuinely appreciate it. I get people constantly reaching out to me like, can I pre-order one now? And it's like, I, I don't even know what we're going to sell them for yet. Like we, we need to okay these prototypes and okay production and make sure we don't have to make any changes and adjust any costs and all that kind of stuff. Like we already have a pretty firm understanding of what they're going to cost us, but there are things that we don't know for sure yet. So we need to figure all that out to even just have pricing. So like I, as much as I love it when people are like, can I pre-order it now? It's like, I wouldn't even know how much money to take from you. And I, it's such a gray area when this is going to be ready to actually launch, let alone be in hand. Like I can't, can't do that yet. But as soon as we're ready for it, like all that support will be so meaningful and welcome because this is a big deal for both of us. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at on the Avant at the moment. 
Um, the last note I have, we'll see if I end up rambling past it, but um, I wanted to talk for a second. When I went down to San Diego last week, um, on the way down into town, I stopped at Tor Knives, T-O-O-R, Tor Knives. And some of you might be aware of them. Some may not. They're uh, primarily a fixed blade company. And they do a lot of um, being down there in the San Diego area. There's obviously a pretty heavy military presence. Um, I, I get the the sense that they do a lot of knives for service members. Um, and they've also, they've done like a collaboration with Haley Strategic, Travis Haley. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he's a awesome, awesome instructor to just be aware of if you're into firearms and firearms training at all. Um, but yeah, so they, they make a line of fixed blades currently that are really cool. And I had just started seeing, uh, maybe a few weeks or maybe a couple months at the most ago that they opened up a showroom there at their shop. And it's a relatively small showroom. It's maybe, I don't know, 15 feet by 20 feet or something, maybe a little bigger than that. It's not huge though. It's a room, right? And uh, it, it's what would like typically be a reception area for this building in an office park. And they've made it a really cool showroom. And so they've got displays up on the wall. They've got a couple of display cases and just a, a bunch of stuff in there. And so I got to handle all of their fixed blades basically. And uh, one of their folders that they actually used to make. But what has me excited is that they're on, I think June 1st is the date. They're launching a new line of folders that they're making completely in-house. All their fixed blades are made there in-house, which is rad. So fully US made line of fixed blades. I think they're launching like four models that day too. They're fairly similar, but they are unique models. Frame locks. Um, I forget what steel they're using. I think it might be like CPM 154, which I'd love it to be something else, but that's not terrible either. Um, but yeah, really cool people. Super nice. Everyone I talked to there was awesome. Um, I ended up getting a hat while I was down there and I've been wearing it like crazy. It's become my go-to like walking and running hat because it's actually a little bit of curved bill. And I typically am kind of a flat build guy, but when I'm running and walking in midday, the curved bill is kind of nice. Um, it's less hipster, but it's kind of nice. So uh, yeah, I mean, they were just, they were great. They were really, really nice. I didn't get to handle any of the new folders yet though. They didn't have any out on display because they weren't launched yet when I was there. And so I'm loosely planning. We'll see how it ends up actually happening. I, I don't want to overpromise and under deliver here, but I'm hoping to get back down there um, right when the folders launch. If I can go on the day that they launch, that would be rad. I don't know. They might be crazy busy that day though or something. So I'm going to talk to them before. I don't, I'm not like friends with the owner or anything, but I did meet a couple people while I was down there and uh, I'd like to see if I can, go visit that showroom and maybe get a shop tour. Even if it's just a simple, quick one, I don't need them to like go crazy giving me a shop tour. Cause I wouldn't know what to do with all that information. But I also, I don't know. I doubt I would even film it. I'd probably just like to go have it. That's one of those things I'd just like to experience. But um, I, yeah, I'd like to get back down there when they launch that folder line, because I'm excited to see how that does. And I want to encourage companies like that who are, doing all of their own work in-house. I understand they're even making their own hardware, like all of it in-house and it's in the U S and I don't think those folders are going to be crazy expensive. I don't think they're going to be cheap. <laughs> they're not going to be inexpensive, but 
they're uh, they're not over the top expensive, and I feel like there's starting to be some makers who are in the U.S. who are playing that game. Like if Tor Knives is making folders, if Tactile Knife Co is making folders, TRM is a player that I really like. ProTech player that I love. Um, you've got, I think Monterey Bay knives supposedly have been hearing murmurings that they're planning to start making some folders in the U S I mean, and then there's obviously like there's big ones like Chris Reeve and Strider and Hinderer and those three, I kind of just at this point, personally, I kind of write off because like, I don't know. I just, I don't see it that much that exciting coming from them um hinderer there are a few models that i would like to try relatively soon i'll probably try a half track and i'd like to try um the fire attack i think that's what it's called um especially now that the fire attack has try away like yeah i'd like to try some of hinderer models to be fair but yeah there's not that many players who aren't at that price range of strider chris reeve and hinderer those companies have this seemingly kind of agreed upon line in the sand where their core models are 450 bucks. And like, sure, you could get a small Sabenza for less than that. Hinderer definitely makes some knives for less than that. But if you consider the core models, like the XM18, the Sabenza 31 now, and the SNG, they're all 450 bucks. Um, and I have speculated that if one or two of those players came down and made that 375, the other one or two would have to as well because they just, they've held that line together. It is, it is what it is, but makers like tactile turn coming in at 300 bucks on their very first offering in nice materials. Love it. These tour knives guys, if these knives are good, that makes me excited. Um, <clears throat> Pro tech. I feel like, I don't know. ProTech needs more love. <laughs> Obviously, their knives are kind of hard to get right now, especially the Malibu is just like, for good reason, it's really, really hard to get. And they're trying to make them. Um, I was just, I literally, what's today, Monday? Yeah, yesterday, I sat down for a while with my buddy Matt, who works over at ProTech, and uh, he helped me get the runt a little early to start showing that. My video, First Impressions, is already up on it. Um but yeah, I was talking to him about the Malibu and he's like, we're aware. And when I talked to Dave at California custom knife shows, the same thing. He's like, we'd love to make enough Malibus for everybody. We're making as many as we can. was basically what they're saying. Um, but yeah, like they're a U.S. maker who's making phenomenal stuff. They're starting to use a lot of 20 CV. It's not just 154 CM from them anymore. Um, like that's great. I, I like them a lot. Yeah, there's there's a few makers who are just kind of popping up onto the scene or getting competitive on the scene, and I like that. Obviously, I'm having my knife made by Riyadh, <laughs> but I would love it, absolutely adore it, if in the next few years there become some options here for me to have knives made. Like for me to design a knife and have someone in the U.S. OEM it man, that would be awesome. And I would pay more for it. Hopefully the end users would pay more for it. Like I'd probably take a slimmer margin on it. Like I would like that to be a thing. Um, so 
we'll see. Time will tell. But hopefully I'll get down to Tor Knives uh, on June 1st or shortly thereafter and see what those folders are all about because they have my interest. And again, I liked the people that I met down there. I didn't meet their entire staff or anything, but the few people that I did get to meet and shake hands with seemed pretty cool. So I'd like to, to see what those folders are all about. I guess that's, yeah, that's all the notes that I have. I think that's kind of it for right now where my headspace is at. I can't think of anything else that I feel like I need to talk about. I've obviously, I mean, I constantly have new stuff coming in. I feel like on a lot of podcasts, it's like, what's new? But it's like, that's what I make my videos about all the time. If, if it's brand new, there's been an unboxing. It's probably a first impressions or about to be. Um, so yeah, like I'm really enjoying some of the stuff that I've just gotten in recently. I've also had a couple of knives lately. Maybe this is one thing we can end with. I've had a couple of knives lately. There's really just one that's super coming to mind, but a couple of EDC items, I guess, would broaden that that I've gotten in and I've done an unboxing on and before I've even done a first impressions I've sold or traded and that's kind of rare for me I feel like for a long time I wanted to honor my process so much of reviewing the gear that even if I wasn't loving something I would give it more of a chance and I would see it through the at least a week of having it carrying it and cutting with it or whatever I maybe I just don't have the patience at the moment. And this is pre eating low carb. Like I got the Chavez tack and I really like Ramon Chavez. I loved the two, two nine that I had death skull. That knife was awesome. Um, I just got a Chavez shirt. Like I have nothing against the guy or his knives or his designs as a whole, but I've seen some people get the tack T A K, whatever you want to call it. I've seen a few people get them and rave about them. Just say that they're awesome. But for me, it, the immediately the jimping killed that knife for me. And that's my preference. That's a thing for me. It's not to say that the knife is terrible, but I do think it's bad design to put remarkably sharp jimping super far spaced apart on a tiny little secondary size knife. It just, to me, it doesn't make sense. I don't see what the purpose is for it on a knife, those dimensions. And with that kind of what I would perceive to be the philosophy of use for the knife, it just, it doesn't add up to me. And so it aggravated me and I immediately got rid of it. I didn't even do a first impressions. I didn't like that knife. My first impressions would have been negative. My full review would have been like, there are some cool things about this. Like I can always find some good things about a knife but it would have been negative ultimately though that feature for me, my opinion ruined it. So I got rid of it. Um, the Pena pry bar that I got recently, I had for a while. I even, I had that on my last Utah trip. I opened a couple of bottles with it. Um, I actually tossed that into the trade with the tack for the guardian tactical OTF that I just got, but it was like that thing had jimping on it that was placed in such a way that if you tried to put it in and out of your pocket, it was like, serrations going across your pocket made it difficult to get in and out was super rough on the pocket you're trying to put it into it's like why even have a pocket clip on it that, that would have been a better pry bar if they took the pocket clip off or if they just emitted those spots of jimping that frankly seemed pointless to me um it just it it, it bugged me and the story of that pry bar would have ended up yeah, it makes a good bottle opener 
I don't use pry openers or pry bars all that much. I, I don't even use bottle openers all that much. And it was just like something cool to try out, but I really didn't end up loving it. And so is what it is. And so in cases like that, I've just not had enough patience to see it through and even like sit down and film that and worry about it. And like, not that I would worry about it, but I just didn't want to do it. And so I just included it in that trade and shipped it away. And uh, I think that might, it could change as all things are likely to do, but that might continue to kind of be the thing with how many knives I just get lately. Um, and especially now that like sometimes companies are sending me knives, things like that, that does happen. And I'm always open about it when it does I'm open about it when I pay for it or not. Like, but there are opportunities I'm having to check out some things kind of early or handle people's prototypes and all that stuff is exciting to me. It's a lot of fun. And so when I get something that I just bought and I don't have any reason to see it through the review process other than to create some videos for other people to see, like, I don't know. I just, I'd rather be doing other things. I'd rather be focusing on the gear that I'm actually liking and enjoying. And there will still be some times that I honor the process and there's going to be some negative reviews and that's all going to happen. And that's important to me too. I think that also validates the positive reviews I make. I find it more believable when somebody gives a positive review who I've also seen give negative reviews. Like Otherwise, I just feel like those people are shilling in some way. I don't want to be that as a channel. And uh, sometimes it's also educational, even for me, to go through the process of trying something, even though I'm having a negative experience with it kind of the whole way through and seeing it through. Like that can be valuable, but sometimes I'm just not going to have the patience for it. Sometimes like that little baby Chavez knife, I'm just going to be like, look, this isn't for me. I don't care enough about it to even film it and I will sell it or trade it or whatever it's going to be. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. I don't, I just, that's kind of the way it is. So yeah, I think that may be a, a little bit of a thing moving forward. Maybe I'm, I don't know. It's, it's from before the diet. So it's, it's, I can't blame it on no carbs. Although right now everything feels like it's because of no carbs in my life. That's just the station I'm at right now. And uh, a few more weeks, that's the way it's going to be. So maybe I'll seem extra critical for a few weeks and then I'll all of a sudden be taking some time off. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be making content and uh, it's going to be interesting as I'm, as I'm subjecting myself to this horrible, horrible way of living. <laughs> Life is so much more enjoyable when you're putting carbs in your body. That's just the way it goes. Anyway, um, I guess that's kind of going to be it guys. I, this is over an hour already. I feel like that's plenty for one of these solo episodes. Um, uh, my next episode, if everything goes according to plan, um, I'm going to be filming or recording end of this week with Chris from Renegade EDC or Renegade Provisions Co. I have his prototype Gungnir in right now. I shot the first impressions of that this morning. 
that knife is awesome and he makes a lot of really cool stuff and I should be getting a package from him before that with some other stuff that I've ordered from him and um, I'm looking forward to that episode. He's become a buddy over the last, I don't know, at least six months, maybe closer to a year. He's one of those guys in that group chat that's important to me <laughs> that I talk to a lot um, and I'm excited to see him coming out with a production knife. So that'll be a fun one. And uh, I've got a couple other fun ones in the pipeline, things I just got to firmly schedule and then make happen. And uh, yeah, I like doing the podcast. This is a good space for me. I enjoy having this outlet. I enjoy having it as a space to do this kind of thing. Now that I've been doing some of these solo episodes, I guess, but also it's been invaluable to be able to have the conversations that I've had one-on-one with people who I respect and can learn from and yeah, to do it long form and just hear what people have to say and be able to talk to them and become friends with them. Like I've made meaningful friendships through this already. And it's a, this is cool. So I hope that people enjoy listening to it. Um, maybe people hate these solo ones. I don't know. I got a decent amount of like positive feedback about it last time. A number of people said that they liked it and I didn't have anybody say, no, you shouldn't do that anymore. Um, but please be honest. If you think this is totally disinteresting, um, and not fun to listen to, then absolutely just please give me that feedback because I don't know. I don't want to make podcasts that nobody wants to listen to. Part of me may also want to do it harder if you tell me not to, but we'll see. That's just my personality type, I suppose. Anyway, guys, this has been episode number 22 with just me this time. Um, If you don't know where to find me, if you're on YouTube, you're already on my YouTube channel, but it's just bearded gear. Um, on Instagram, it's bearded underscore gear. The probably most meaningful place where you could follow me right now is me and Ryan, my partner, but left concepts on Instagram. That's where we're sharing updates as we have them, um, about the Avant, which is coming as soon as it can come. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it guys. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, we'll talk to you on the next.